Welcome to this one-off episode of Livewire. We're going to look at the ABC of how to appraise others. Now, I believe we all want to be successful. In fact, it's very hard to enjoy what you do if you feel every day that you're failing. And yet many of us struggle being appraised, even though it helps us improve and be more successful. But today we're going to look at the other side of that, which is that many people struggle to appraise others. The reason for that we're going to tackle a little bit later on. But in this first section, we're going to look at having an aim. The fact that we need to help people succeed, and to do that, we need to express to them what the aim is. So in order to look at this, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' example. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72 on mission. And we pick up the story on their return in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Luke 10 is a key passage for Pays because it uh, informs us how to do mission. Uh, we've broken Luke 10 down into spread, spot, stay and send. But when the disciples come back, it seems like Jesus just pours cold water on them. You know, in most churches, when they send people off on mission, they come back with a great report and everybody cheers and claps and it's an exciting Sunday morning. But here we have Jesus pouring cold water, it seems, on the disciples' excitement. Why is that? It's because he's appraising what they've done and he's realising they're missing the main aim. It's not about them and their ministry. It's about his kingdom and his mission. And what Jesus is doing is through an appraisal process, he's spotting a theme, he's noticing there's a weakness and he's getting them back on track with a real purpose of why he sent them out. So I want to look at um, I want to look at three steps you need to take before you begin the appraisal process. Number one, you get what you don't aim for. There's a story I like to tell of a little boy and his father, and his father decided to take him to uh, teach him how to uh, use a bow and arrow. So he took him to the forest one day, and he painted a target on the tree, and he gave his son a bow and arrow and said, okay, son, I want you to practice hitting this target. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go and get us some sandwiches. So while the father's gone, the little boy shoots the arrow, completely misses, uh, misses the target and hits an altogether different tree. But instead of picking up the arrow and, and trying again, he gets the paints and he paints a new target around that arrow. And he tries to tell his father that he hit the arrow, sorry, hit the target he was aiming for. I love that met metaphor because I think Christians are experts at that. We um, often don't aim for anything in particular. And when we miss, we kind of use this kind of spiritual camouflage to say, well, maybe that's what God was aiming for all the time. Possibly, but more than likely, we just failed. So you don't get uh, what you don't aim for or you get what you don't aim for. Um, you need to make sure before you're appraising people, they clearly know what the aim is, what they're trying to accomplish. 
The second thing is you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. There are many things I've learned as a leader over the last 30 years, and this is one of them. If I just tell people uh, what I'm expecting, um, I may or may not get it. Uh, but if I let people know that they're going to be inspected, people take notice. And it's really important I let people know what I'm going to be inspecting. So I may give someone a large task, and I want to make it really clear the things I'm going to be inspecting, the things I'm going to be judging their success on. And the things I'm going to inspect are going to be the key part of our vision. So on, on pays where missionaries making missionaries. So we're, we're not about simply making converts. We're trying to, to disciple young people. So we stopped inspecting hands in the air, uh, converts if you like, and instead started to let our teams know we were going to inspect how many young people were in a mentoring relationship. Now people know what's expected, but they also know what's going to be inspected. And number three is this. You get a reaction to the degree of your proaction. If you want people to react well, generally, to your appraisal of them, you need to explain to them why you're appraising them. And I think it, that's really important that you explain to them that it's your responsibility, that whatever they're going to be doing, actually still your responsibility. It's not their responsibility, it's still your responsibility. So if I have someone I'm leading, uh, and maybe it's to do with communications, or it's maybe it's to do with training or finances, at no point does that become just their responsibility, it's still my responsibility. And the more I explain that to them, and that appraisal is going to happen on a regular basis, maybe just through a typical discipleship relationship using what we call the flow, that I'm going to be constantly meeting with them. And every time I meet with them, I'm going to be talking about some form of uh, appraisal at some point in that meeting. People don't feel as though I'm just occasionally grabbing them to criticise them. People know that's part of the job. It's part of my job and it's part of their job. So if you want a good reaction to appraising people, let them know what you're aiming for, what you're expecting, what's going to be inspected, and that this is going to be a regular part of your role and their role. Just because you're inspecting them on something or appraising them on something does not mean that they've done something wrong. It's just life on mission and life on purpose. So let's look at our first workshop. Please discuss who do you need to appraise have you included these three steps in the past? If not, which ones have you missed and how would you do things differently next time? You can do that as a group or as individuals. If, you, if you're doing it as a group, do it because as a group you're appraising or you're responsible for, for some department together or a group of other people. Uh, if not, then just do it as an individual and think through who you need to appraise. Have you used those three steps? Which ones have you maybe missed? What would be the benefits of including them next time and how would you do things differently? Please take about 10 minutes. If you're in a group, uh, discuss this with others and we'll come back and look at the B of appraising others. So the B of appraising others is blueprint. You need some kind of system. I don't recommend the whole thing where you give them a positive thing, then a negative thing, and then a positive thing. Because half the time people know what's going to happen, and they're not fooled by it. 
and they think, okay, you're telling me something good, but you're going to tell me something bad. And then they think, okay, you told me something good again, but that was so you could tell me something bad. So I wouldn't suggest you do that. Uh, I like to use the SWOT analysis. It's not something I created. It's very, very popular. It works really well. I would encourage you to take notes though, because like any tool, it's only as good as the skill of the person who's using it. So uh, simply knowing what SWOT stands for uh, is not the main thing. I'm gonna give you some little nuances that can be really important from taking this to a good model to a great model. Now, before we look at those uh, four different parts to a SWOT analysis, let me just say this. Going into a SWOT analysis, what are you looking for? You're looking for one theme, one next step, if you like. If you go in and you give people lots of things to change, it's gonna demotivate people. If somebody said to you, hey, I've appraised your work and here's 10 things you need to work on, it's probably gonna demotivate you. You're gonna think, I can't do this. I'm never gonna get anywhere. I'm not gonna get through all these 10 things. It's gonna be difficult. So what you're looking for is a theme. So you're looking for a pattern that gives you a principle, something that ties some of these things together. So you can say to people, here's your next step. Here's the one thing you need to work on. Then hopefully they're gonna ask you for examples and you can give them some of the things in that list. But it's simple psychology really to help people. If they have one thing they've got to work on, but you've got some examples, that's a whole lot better than 10 things they have to work on. So let's look at the first thing in the SWOT analysis. So the S stands for strength. So you want to talk to people about their strengths. You want to analyze and appraise what are they good at? What are the strengths? What's been working? What's been successful so far? You're gonna want them also to do this appraisal of themselves. So you want them to tell you what they consider to be their strengths and then you want to tell them what you consider to be their strengths. Now, let me give you one of those little nuances I mentioned before, those little skills that make this not just good, but great. The more specific you are, the more dynamic you are. So don't just give people generic, I think you're great, I think you're really good, or even things like, I think you're a great listener. Be specific. I would say, I think you're a great listener because I notice what you're really good at is listening and I notice that people can see you taking notes of what they say, reflecting back to them, and then often you go away, do something based on what you've heard them say and let them know what you did. That's, that's what a great listener does. That's a lot more powerful than saying to them, I think you're a great listener. So get them to tell you what uh, they think your strengths are uh, correct them if you think they're wrong. Tell them what you think uh, their strengths are and be specific. The second thing you're looking for are weaknesses. So just as importantly as uh, uh, appraising someone's strengths, you need to look at their weaknesses. And uh, now one of the best ways of doing this, of course, is if you can get them again to tell you, uh, first of all, what they think their weaknesses are. And if you can get the situation where they're asking you, so what, what do you think my weaknesses are? That's gonna be better um, than you simply giving them a list of, of weaknesses again. Again, you're really looking for one main theme. Uh, you're looking to give them examples of one main thing. So part of getting them to ask you, what are my weaknesses, is listening. Um, a lot of people, um, when they think about weaknesses, get a bit frustrated. 
They might tell you all the things they're frustrated with. And it's just best to listen because even though you're thinking of saying something to them, if they're frustrated, if they've got things on their mind, even if they're just excuses, then, then as they're saying all this stuff to you, you can't give them anything because while while you're saying something to them, they're not listening to you, they're, list, they're thinking about the next thing they're gonna tell you. So you wanna get to the point where they're all out of excuses, all out of frustrations, and they look at you and go, anyway, what do you think? And at that point, you can share what you think their main weakness is. You can bring that theme to them. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities. For me, this is the real key because your next step is going to be based on an opportunity. So the opportunity is basically what you see um, opening up for them, what you see them being able to succeed in if they play to their strengths and manage their weaknesses. Uh, you want to kind of paint a picture and say, you know, you're really good at this, you've got this weakness, but if you keep playing to your strength and you manage that weakness, I can see this happening so you sharing the opportunities you see. You don't have to have just one. Maybe there are several opportunities you can share with them. And, and that's where you're going to want to build your next step. So opportunities are really important. You don't want to build a next step on how they should manage a weakness. The next step you're going to give them at the end of the SWOT analysis, the next practical thing you're going to give them to do, you want to base it around the opportunities. It's going to be much more motivational to people to do something because they can achieve something than do something to fix something. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and then finally, threats. Really, again, I should say threats, not threats, because the fact of the matter is you don't want to give them six or seven threats. You want to build this around the theme that you're finding in the opportunity stage or you already know going into this, and you want to talk to them about that one main threat and the way you, you explain the threat is uh, look at the opportunity, look back at your weakness. If you don't manage the weakness, the threat is you won't see the opportunity happen. In fact, you might see just the opposite. So again, you try to create one theme. Here are your strengths. I think you're really good at uh, this. Let's, let's talk about listening. I'm just making this up as I'm thinking about it. You're a great listener. The opportunity is uh, you could maybe be a wonderful counsellor one day and really help uh, a church by being a great counsellor and uh, helping an awful lot of different people. Uh, your weakness is that you really like to talk and give your opinion a little bit too much. So even though you're a good listener, you're, you're, you've, you know, you, you, or maybe you don't have enough experience. You're a great listener, but you, you've got lots of opinions, but you don't really know what you're talking about. And that's a threat because you could be a great counsellor one day. I can see this. I can paint this picture for you. But if you don't manage that, if you don't go and get more experience, then this opportunity is not going to happen. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunity and threats. What is a threat compared to the opportunity? How does a threat stop the opportunity happening? Couple more things to think about. Like I say, it's always good to go into this with them preparing a SWOT analysis first on themselves and you preparing one and being able to compare that. That's helpful. Another good tip I would suggest is when you then give someone the next step, when you say, so this is your next step in this little case scenario, uh, we need to get you, you need to go and get some more experience. The final thing I usually say to them is, so this is your next step. What can I do to help you accomplish that? Is there anything I can do within reason to help you accomplish that? 
In this case, they might say to me, can you recommend places to go? Or if they're working for me, they might say, is there a course you can help provide? Is there, is there some kind of financial help to, to get me on this course that I've, I've noticed? I want to help people um, take that next step that I'm giving them. The benefit of that as well is it, it forces you to think how important is it to you that they take this next step? Because every time you ask someone to take a next step, if you're gonna to offer to do something for them, you're gonna to wanna to make sure it's an important next step. You're not just playing around with them and, and giving them things to do for the sake of it. Okay, so that's the SWOT analysis, and that's how to use a SWOT analysis well. Before we look at the C, which I think is really important in appraisal, let's look at the second workshop. Can you please think of someone or something you need to appraise? And then create a SWOT analysis outlining their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Then finally, plan when you can get them to create a SWOT analysis on themselves and when you can compare them together. Okay, so who do you need to appraise? Um, create a SWOT analysis on them now. Again, if you're in a team and you have a group of people or a ministry that you've got to appraise, then do that together. And then figure out, is there someone you can compare this with? Is there someone you're appraising? Can you get them to do a SWOT analysis on themselves so you can, you can compare it together? So please, again, take some time to do that, create the SWOT analysis, and we'll look, uh, come back and we'll look at the C of the ABC of appraising others. So finally, the C for me stands for confidence, or maybe you could say conviction, but let's use the word confidence. Um, it's interesting how unconfident sometimes people are and how they lack conviction to appraise others. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. Let me just first tell you what Jesus said about this. In Matthew 10 verse 24, he says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. Now, partly, of course, he's talking about us compared to our master, but also, as we'll see in a moment, he's talking about leadership generally. I think one of the things that's drained uh, our confidence is what I call spiritual correctness. Now, most of us have heard of political correctness, Political correctness is when people with um, for the best intentions want to stand up for some kind of injustice. But what they do is they make the tragic mistake of replacing common sense or truth with idealism. So they go beyond truth, they go beyond common sense, and they, they create idealist, idealist ideas that end up backfiring on them and actually often make things worse than they were before. People who would have listened to them now just get wound up and annoyed by them and by political correctness. I think spiritual correctness, it's just a term I use, uh, is similar. It's when, again, we replace biblical truth with things that sound spiritual, but actually are not biblical. They just sound godly, but they're not really godly. And then we hide behind them and they drain us of our confidence. So, for instance, let me give you an example of this. Peter... Um, gets really uh, frustrated and really upset because 
Jesus comes to a home and all the disciples are there. And what would normally happen in this home when visitors came to a house like this is a servant would wash people's feet. But Jesus decides to take a towel around his waist and Jesus decides to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter, when Jesus turns to Peter, Peter says, no, you can't do that. You, you are amazing. I'm not worthy to have my feet washed by you. Now, really, Jesus knew what was going on. Peter knew that if he allowed Jesus to wash his feet, he was kind of admitting that he should have done that in the first place, that one of the disciples should have done that. So Peter kind of hides behind this um, pseudo-humility. And Jesus turns around to him and uses these words. He, he kind of, first of all, he tells him quite strongly, get behind me, Satan, which is pretty hard. Um, but then he says this a little bit later on to him. I have set you an example. Uh, the literal translation to that is pattern. I have set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. There's some really good principles in here for praising other people. Um, I'm not one for getting those I'm leading to praise me in some kind of formatted way. Uh, I'm much uh, keener on doing what Jesus did, was he did it through relationship and he did it by showing and giving them a pattern that sometimes they could question and they could come back to him and ask questions. So one of the ways I do that, for instance, is um, I use some software called Trello. I'm going to show you a picture now. And on Trello, what, what people who I work with and lead can do is they can see every day what I'm accomplishing and they can talk to me about that and they can, in their own minds, I guess they can appraise what I'm doing. They can ask me why I spend my time on certain things or don't spend my time on other things. And as you look at this Trello, you can see where I'm spending my time. I'm spending my time on uh, vision, recruits and finances. So I have various people in my life who give me accountability, uh, some in my personal life and some in my professional life. But what I won't do is hand over the authority, the responsibilities God's given me to other people. That's wrong, especially if I do it just to be fair. The fact is that God's given me a responsibility, given me things I need to do, and I need to do them as well as I possibly can. Getting feedback, but not trying to hide behind other people, which, as you'll see in a moment, is exactly what Moses did. Can I remind you of this leadership principle? The person you cannot lead is the person you are afraid of. I think if I remember correctly, this was first said by Paul Scanlon, a UK preacher. And it's very true. As leaders, when we're praising others, we can't lead people we're afraid of. Um, I don't necessarily mean you're afraid of them punching you, but maybe you're afraid of them not liking you. Or you're afraid of them um, um, attacking you in some way or getting other people to attack you. Or for some reason, the fear of rejection the fear of problems, the fear of confrontation. You just cannot lead them. That's the person you're going to do a huge disservice to. So you need to have conviction. You need to have confidence. Now, it could be that you're not really sure exactly what they should do. You're not really sure that you do know what advice to give them. In that case, go and talk to someone who does, consult with them and go back with at least their conviction until it becomes your conviction. 
Uh, many years ago, um, I was leading pays and then led a church. And just as I was making uh, the transition from not just leading pays, but also leading a church, someone said to me, now, you know, Paul, you, you can't lead a church the way you lead pays. And I thought to myself, no, I think that's wrong. <laughs> because I thought I'm trying to lead pays the way Jesus led. And I'm pretty sure Jesus' principles work everywhere. So uh, we led the church with those same kind of principles, the same kind of style, and, and I think it worked. The church grew. Uh, we made a, a, a significant difference in the community, and some great leaders uh, grew up around us. So I went, I was saying this to someone last night, uh, I went into that church with some theories, but I came out with convictions. So it is true, the older you get and the more experienced you get, um, if you do things well and you see success, you're going to have this more conviction and you're not going to have the fear of appraising other people, even if God gives you like more experienced people to start to appraise. But when you're younger, when you're less experienced, you may need to appraise people based on consultation with others. You may need their conviction to be your conviction for a while. So you need to have faith in what they're saying and be convinced about it until you can own it, until you see through experience that that was the best thing to do, that appraising others and giving them that advice was good advice and helps them. You see, if you remember, Moses failed where Joshua succeeded. Moses tried to take um, the Israel into the promised land and failed. Joshua tried to take the Israels into the promised land and succeeded. Why was that? Both of them sent spies out to look at the land to decide and uh, how they should go about this. But the question, or if you like, the command they gave them in some ways was different. Let me give you um, my summary of what Moses said and what Joshua said. Moses said this, here is what you should do. Do you think you should do this? What Moses did was he said, God's told us to do this. Is that okay? Do you think we should do this? He essentially abdicated his responsibility and gave it to the spies. Maybe Moses was afraid of going into the promised land. Maybe Moses wanted to hide behind the spies and their report. Who knows? So Moses said, here is what you should do. Do you think you should do this? Whereas Joshua said, here is what you should do. Would you like to help shape it? Moses sends the spies in and the spy says, we shouldn't do this. Joshua sends the spies in, but he gives them an aim. He tells them what he's going to expect from them. And they come back with how they should do this. Those things are important. So as you appraise others, please remember the A, B, C. Aim, blueprint, confidence. You need all three. If you appraise people, you will help them, lead them, I should say, into their promised land. If you don't, maybe they'll end up walking around in a wilderness, not, not understanding why things aren't working out, not understanding why time and time again they fail or things don't go as well as they could do. Have some compassion, please. Have confidence and appraise people. Let's look at our final workshop. It's very simple. I'd like you first to ask yourself, are you courageous enough to lead are you courageous enough to lead? And where do you need prayer in this? So for our final workshop, especially if you're in a group, I'd like you to pray for each other. 
I'd like you to confess where maybe in the past you've not appraised, you've not led, uh, you've not analysed and helped people, you've not inspected, where you've essentially let people down, the ones you were leading, and ask for prayer, confession and then prayer. So let's take some time to do that. If you're listening to this on podcast on your own, maybe just take a few moments now to reflect and maybe confess and ask for the Lord to give you strength in these areas and wisdom. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Uh, Hopefully this was helpful to you. Hopefully this will help you help others. Goodbye for now.